Welcome to Mental Health in Minnesota podcast produced by NAMI Minnesota's Multicultural Young Adult Advisory Board. This is a podcast series that centers education, empowerment, and engagement surrounding mental health within communities of color. NAMI Minnesota is a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of all Minnesotans affected by mental illness. Visit NAMI Minnesota online at namimn.org. Subscribe to the podcast and listen to more episodes on the NAMI Minnesota website or wherever you get your podcasts. So if you could please introduce yourself um, and then we'll get started with our questions. Thank you for being here with me. I appreciate it. Um, so go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Terrence Thigpen, mental health therapist at Reviving Roots. Um, I also hold a master's in social work. Awesome. Thank you. So if you can just describe what a typical therapy session looks like um, with you and for your clients, I think this is really important because a lot of folks that we get to talk to are folks who are going to therapy and they talk about the hesitance. So I love to get the experience of you as a therapist. What does that look like for you? Yeah, great question. Um, Typically, the way that therapy sessions start with me, if you're someone who's seeking therapy services, we do a consultation first, and a consultation is like a 15 to 20, sometimes 30 minutes, depending on how deep we get into discussion, basically like introduction of each other, um, where I start out by saying, you know, who I am as a person, providing some background knowledge about myself, and then talking a little bit about how I approach therapy. Um, and welcoming that person into their own therapeutic space. Uh, to me, it's really important that I acknowledge um, the power differentials that exist between myself and that other person and really try to remind them that my job as a therapist is to really be alongside them on their journey and to really make sure that they're feeling like they can bring their whole self into that space and that it is their space that they are welcoming welcoming me into. Awesome. Beautiful. And just for context for folks, where can folks find you? What does that space look like? Um, can it be done virtually? And what does that virtual space looks like if you do it virtually? Uh, great question. Um, so people currently can find me um, on the Reviving Roots website um, under um, services that we offer. From there, then they would connect via email or via a digital form to submit an interest in seeking therapy with me. From there, um, our office administrator would reach out to them to schedule their first consultation. We would meet, do that 15-minute intro, and then the following session is usually when I gather a lot of information about what that person is seeking uh, therapy for and how we might begin to work with each other. Uh, the same would go for virtual. So they would submit their preference for virtual meetings and then we would meet and do a virtual consultation and follow up with a virtual session, um, similarly to how we do in person. And so how do you integrate, you know, we hear cultural competence, you know, we hear cultural responsiveness, culturally sustaining, um, you know, how do you just integrate um, you know, that, that cultural knowledge that often is inherent. You know, you don't really uh, get to learn it in a class. You just, mm -hmm. you live with that experience. How do you bring that into therapy or into your approach to therapy, especially when you're working with black clients? Yeah, uh, I think a lot of that groundwork begins right in our initial interaction. So as we sit down in that consultation, I do my best to 
um, name all of my intersections, um, name all of my identities, or invite my identities into the space with the client. Um, and I also um, ask them which identities they want to be seen, acknowledged, respected in our space. So really allowing them to bring those um, identities into our space rather than me trying to pull them out of them or guide them into spaces that they're not ready or comfortable um, entering just yet. So I name my own. Um, I usually state that, you know, I'm a black man, a black cis male, um, and that I, you know, am coming to them by way of Chicago. I name like, um, you know, that I'm coming from a single mother. Um, I name some of the background professional experiences that I have. I usually try to name them last uh, in our um, dynamics so that people know that I'm not valuing just the professional dynamics that exist in that space, as well as some of my interests and things like that. Awesome. I love that. Um, and how does that, uh, so we also talk about um, when you're finding a therapist, for example, look at their specialties, right? And so um, when you are you know, when you were kind of on your journey of becoming a mental health therapist, what was, you know, what kind of specialties did you want to approach? And what specialties do you often tell your clients, here's what I do? Um, yeah, this is an interesting and complicated question for me <laughs> as someone who is actively trying to disrupt my um, colonized view of the world, not just mental health. Um, I do try to actively leave a lot of the colonized approaches and views out of my therapeutic practice. So in terms of a specialty, to me, the, um, the way that I approach it is, is all via relationship um, without naming any like clinical um, strategies or interventions. I just try to focus on the relationship with the person and whatever they're trying to bring into the space with the knowledge that I have um, from my schooling, but more importantly, from my life experiences that have taught me far more than any textbook or professor or um, research that I might find online. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. But it's very complicated for me, and I really think in order to do the work that I am interested in doing, it's important that I try not to bring the colonizers into spaces uh, with people who have been constantly pushed to the side or marginalized by many of the colonizers' views. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And I also want to shed light on the idea that I had done an interview with another woman who is currently seeking mental health um, services from a black therapist, and they were just saying it's life-changing, and, um, and there are things that you will have to explain to a white therapist that you wouldn't have to if it was a therapist who shared your cultural background. Um, and so really like shedding light on that of like what you're saying, like you're not gonna see that in a textbook. You're not, you know, and especially going through schooling as a therapist too, you're like, people don't know this, you know, like mm -hmm. like there's a whole class, I'm paying three credits for this class of which I already know this. And yet, yeah, so I, I also wanna, um, like acknowledge that too. My background comes from being a high school teacher mm -hmm. um, and very much so, you know, I taught students who were Hmong, I'm Hmong, and it was like, mm -hmm. of course, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's inherent. You know, we, we, we didn't need to go through schooling to get this and yet we have to have those credentials, 100%. right? Um, 
And so also recognizing that when we talk about, you know, what we call stigma, I would like to offer like another term, which might be a little bit more, um, you know, more harsh maybe, but, um, you know, calling it discrimination. 100%. Um, and, and realizing that discrimination, especially towards folks who are living with mental illnesses or living with mental illness symptoms, um, are often... Um, being oppressed <laughs> even by folks mm -hmm. who who show up like them and look like them and talk like them so realizing that mental health discrimination looks different in a in various you know multicultural communities how do you address and navigate that discrimination with your clients who are probably seeking from you uh you know not wanting to be re-traumatized yeah it's a really important question I think for me it starts with um, the the initial interview process, uh, really naming that a lot of the tools that show up in the therapy space have been manipulated, I'll use, you know, for the word manipulated in a way to really fit the society that we live in. Um, and a lot of that societal molding coincides with um, the discrimination and stigma that we're, that we're talking about here, uh, much of which comes in the form of diagnosis. Many of the people who I see are looking for some information to attach to to better understand who they are as a person and how they move through the world. And we've been taught or misconceived that the only way to gain or build understanding is via diagnosis and the DSM in particular. So I try to keep for myself my own understanding and opinions about the diagnosis process and try to bring that into a space and offer it up to the clients that I'm working with um, in that way as a tool for us to um, utilize in a way that serves them rather than belittles or diminishes their experience or boxes their experience into, um, uh, into the way that society wants us to. Um, thank you for that. Um, and really, you know, I love that when you when folks first come to you, you are so open and transparent about like, here are my intersectionalities, you know, in terms of my identities and in terms of my experiences and my journey. Um, I think that's really important. And the fact that you offer that up first instead of, you know, putting it on them or um, but also, you know, how how do you acknowledge your clients intersectionalities in terms of their, um, you know, identities? And how do you approach that, you know, in your practice? Yeah, I think, as I said earlier, you know, the, the my first approach is asking um, how people or which identities someone wants to bring into that space. And I think the most important thing that I do is um, remind the people I'm working with that that is open, so that's open to further discussion, deeper discussion, new identities being brought in, um, and knowing that our relationship is malleable and that it will continue to grow and shift and adapt to the identities or experiences that we bring into the room. And as we, as we uncover different identities, leaving space for whatever the client or person I'm working with uh, might want to offer up or dive into. So really making sure that I am, I always use the analogy or an analogy of being in a, a vehicle um, as I'm working with people and say that my job is really to sit in the passenger seat um, while they are navigating their car of life. So if they want to take me down a certain road, allowing them to be the ones who are in control of their vehicle and me being there as a passenger to 
notice things that you know we might observe um, throughout the journey. Awesome. I love that analogy. And I think often, you know, when I think of even my own cultural upbringing as among women, um, you know, among elders, they, they love to put everything in analogies. It just mm-hmm. makes sense for mm-hmm. us, you know. Um, uh, and it kind of like almost in a way like depersonalizes us almost of like it's not you going through this mm-hmm. journey, but it's, you know, and so it becomes a lot more uh, part of the process of like the natural world, you know, in a way when it's often like, oh, we're the ground, we're the land, we're the mm-hmm. water, you know. And so I um, I really love that you bring up these analogies because I think it is really culturally responsive, even for myself, not as a black co- client, you know, but as as a Hmong woman, um, but seeing, you know, kind of the. Um, the nuances, but also the similarities between um, cultural backgrounds. And, you know, just for listeners and myself, you know, can you talk about your journey, just becoming a mental health therapist, what that has looked like for you and how your journey has informed you now as a therapist? Yeah, I would love to. So I think, um, well, where we begin? Um, So, yeah, I've worked for for many years. in service, um, starting out when I was in high school working in our like adapted um, Phi Ed classes as like a, a buddy um, and really understanding the power of being in community and supporting people in ways that they they asked for and needed support. So I started really early in terms of how I was working, I guess you could say. From there, um, working with adults with different physical or cognitive disabilities um, as a professional and eventually found myself um, working in the school systems Um, so starting out as a like a student support in a high school and eventually landing um, at a a girl focused and stem focused charter middle school here in st paul called laura jeffrey academy while at laura jeffrey served as a member of our admin team um, and really my primary focus was restorative practices and really supporting students um, as they navigated the school system um, by way of um, conflict resolution. So either supporting them with peer-to-peer conflict, staff-to-student conflict, adult conflict that existed between our staff and or from our parents or caregivers, while on that journey, just really being able to reflect and meet with various people in the community to talk about what healing looks like. It's something that I've always been curious about and strongly believe in. It's something that I feel has been a part of my, my life since I was as young as I can remember, talking about healing and the power of community. Um, and then from that reflection, stepping back and trying to think about ways that I could make that my life and make that my lifestyle and realizing that you know i needed to go to school eventually um, to acquire a graduate degree in order to be a therapist eventually completing grad school and landing where i am now awesome thank you and so when you first began your mental health journey of becoming a therapist you know finishing your grad degree getting the you know proper licensure what was your what was your goal from that you know, like when you think about the, the, your your the pla- your place of practice. Yeah, um, my well, I guess I'll back up and say that my my journey was a tumultuous one, especially in grad school, um, for a number of reasons. Being in the classroom, struggling with professors who were 
timid and unwilling to engage in the conversations and discussions that I felt like were necessary. Um, being faced with a curriculum that was oftentimes aggravating or harmful, traumatizing, traumatic, um, divisive, complicated, outdated, so on and so forth, right? Um, and then various things that happened to me as a student on campus um, led me to having an initial goal of survival. I just wanted to finish. Beyond that, my goal became one that was to create space for people to take up whatever space they needed to in this life and to to do it in a, in a, in a way and in a place that felt safe to them. And that is, that is and probably will always be my, my goal, followed up by doing whatever I can to decolonize my way of doing this work and really reshaping my own idea of what it is first and hoping that other people will have some self-discovery about what they want it to be for their own self moving forward. Mm, I love that. Um, and so, you know, for your journey and for folks who are now considering becoming a mental health therapist, especially for, you know, black folks or folks who are multicultural, multilingual, do you have any words of wisdom or, you know, or things that you learned throughout your journey of, I wish I had known this, I wish I had done this? Um, I think that's my favorite question you've asked so far. <laughs> um, I would say for me, what kept me grounded, what kept me motivated uh, was remembering that these things are innate and they are built into the culture in which I'm from. Um, I think we are misled to believe in this narrative or this mirage that these types of practices are new and that they come from people who do not share bodies that look like ours and being reminded that these things are in us and we've been doing it in community for a very long time long before the word therapy was ever introduced to us our people have been doing this kind of work so staying rooted in our in our cultures in the teachings that our ancestors um, have have given us and knowing that there's far more power in that than these western ways of viewing these things and the people who share dna with us are the the real experts at this stuff. I love that. Thank you. Um, and then kind of on the flip side for folks who are maybe reluctant or hesitant to, you know, go to therapy, to even go to a consultation, you know, what kind of words of wisdom or, you know, kind of guide could you provide to those folks? Yeah, I would say something that I usually bring into that first consultation that I mentioned earlier is that Many people, so I, I always offer people an opportunity to ask me questions that they might have or hesitations that they might have about therapy or, or me as a practitioner. Um, and something that I, that I typically get asked is, why do I do this work? And um, I think my reason for doing this work will answer your question. I always tell people that I do believe life causes suffering. This is, a, you know, life is really hard, especially today, but it always has been for a number of reasons. Um, but it doesn't have to be that way. And I think therapy provides a, a space and a tool for people to disrupt the difficulties that life presents in a way that 
is tailored to the people who need the support. So I do believe that therapy works. I do believe there is a clinician out there for everyone. I would say people who are hesitant can, and I don't want to say should, they can um, do their research on, you know, who's out there, how they like to practice. They can take some time to reflect on what they think they might need, you know, in that given moment. Um, they can, you know, spend some time wondering or being curious about if they're open to doing the work, maybe talking to some people who go to therapy, um, potentially talking to some people who seek other forms and modalities of treatment. Um, I would encourage them to spend some time asking whoever they might meet with for therapy some questions. So really interviewing them and approaching the therapeutic process like a relationship of any kind, whether it be a friendship, romantic, familial relationship, but really realizing that what happens in therapy is really relationship-focused and centered. So, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, the relationship really is key. Um, and I think folks who may not be currently seeing a therapist who shares their cultural background, there is a sort of barrier um, and there's this sort of guard um, that I think you don't even realize is there mm -hmm. um, until you start seeing it, you know, a therapist who shares your cultural background and then it's like, it just clicks. Mm -hmm. um, there's just this sense of understanding and solidarity and knowing that just exists without having to um, be explicit about that relationship even. Um, and so I'm also curious as well, just what have you learned throughout, throughout your experience of being a mental health therapist from your clients? What have you learned from them that you now carry on? Yeah, I think the I think a constant reminder is that people are their own experts of their own experience and their own self and really allowing people the space and time and care and compassion and understanding to go on that journey to really, you know, find their own empowerment. Um, yeah, people are really powerful and I think they they develop, you know, various skills to cope and deal with life in the ways that make sense for, for their circumstances. And really highlighting that is, I feel like, crucial to the overall experience. And yeah, just going back to the idea that people really can be the catalyst for their own healing as long as they have the space to do so. Mm. Thank you. Um, well, uh, kind of as we're just wrapping up, are there any kind of words of wisdom or um, any you know, anything that you can think of that would be beneficial for listeners to understand? You know, I'm thinking about folks who are becoming therapists now, folks who are trying to seek therapy, folks who have been traumatized by therapy. Um, you know, what are what are things that you may be able to share? Yeah, I, I think, I guess, as we wrap up, um, I would say... I feel a, a sense right now in the world, in my own experience, um, this desire or craving for community and togetherness. And I think we live in a in a machine that forces us to isolate and be afraid of connection, be afraid of community. And by way of that, we find ourselves in really peculiar situations where 
life feels insurmountable. So I would say anyone who is out there feeling alone or feeling like this this life is too difficult, to turn to your people, offer up some some openness and allow yourselves to connect with with each other in ways that are deep and that are real. Find moments and pockets of life that allow you and those around you to experience joy. I would encourage people to slow down, to spend time with your days, to spend time spending time. You know, again, we let life pass us by often and we do things to distract us and to get our mind off of the things that are difficult. And I feel like a lot of that is, is driven by, you know, the, the idea that this life is meant to be lived in a fast pace and, and on our own and prioritizing self in ways that don't consider community. So yeah, turn to community, slow down, be open, lean in. <laughs> I love that. Um, and then lastly, um, I also think of the the secondary trauma um, that you may be experiencing possibly every day. It was something that I, I think I often felt as a teacher of, um, you know, my, my mother moved to, um, she migrated to the U.S. when she was 16 years old. She was pregnant with her first child, um, lost, confused, came here with my father, um, enrolled at, um, we lived in North Minneapolis, you know, and I often saw her and my students, you know, and so it was, it was hard to leave knowing you know, knowing the pain that it caused me, but the, the healing that I, I so needed, but didn't know where or how. But anyways, I think about you and your profession, being a therapist, potentially even being traumatized or re-traumatized by things that your clients are telling you or confiding in you. So how do you take care of yourself? Yeah, um, I think this is a multi-layered answer. Um, first, I would say... I like to recognize that whether directly or indirectly, in practice, I am experiencing my neighbor's experience. Um, yeah, so, so knowing that I can't heal in isolation, right? So I do my own therapy, and that's good and all, but in order to be in, in community, in, in this world, I'm going to feel other people's stuff too. So that's where I like to start. Second, I also like to remember that I can't save anyone and I can't solve anyone's problems, right? So one of my mentors once told me when I was feeling really responsible in my practice, really responsible for someone's healing or um, whatever they were going through, that, that I don't have that much power in that it's none of my bleep business <laughs> what happens beyond that hour that I have with that person in session. I can give them the tools and give them the space, and then they have to go live their life. Um, and I think that has allowed me to really spend my time really present in my sessions with people, and then once that hour is up, really release that experience so I'm not taking things home with me. and bringing them into my life and knowing that, you know, someone who I see on a weekly basis, they're, they meet with me for that one hour and then their real therapy is the next six days and 23 hours. 
Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> and I think of therapy of just, um, and, you know, and I think of the real work of therapy is what happens during that time between therapy mm-hmm. sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and often, um, you know, I grew up with no accountability. <laughs> um, I don't know what it's, you know, we, you know, when I just think about my childhood, I didn't know what boundaries were and I didn't know what accountability is. And true, you know, truly that's just how I grew up. And so now I'm an adult and now I have to know what boundaries are when accountability is. Um, and, and you know what, she really holds me to, to mm-hmm. you know, and, and she's not afraid to say, Kabao, what's the fear? Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to be reparented in a way by her. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, but therapy is truly like, it, it can be life-changing. It can be, it has the potential to be, but it's the work that I've put in between the sessions where I think Jennifer's going to kick my butt if, <laughs> you know, and, and that's what I need because I never got that from my parents. I never got that from my older siblings, you know, like mm-hmm. if I didn't do it, I didn't do it, but she, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's the disappointment. <laughs> I definitely, I definitely name things to people. <laughs> Uh, when they're like, you know, bringing things into session and they're telling me one thing and then I'm able to, you know, step back and provide um, more perspective for them to say, you know, this is the action that you've also described earlier or in a previous session so that they can see, you know, where those things align or don't um, in an unbiased way. Thank you so much. Uh, I just really appreciate this conversation. I appreciate just the flow of the conversation. Um, you've really allowed me to like what you said, kind of lean in. Mm-hmm. I think is what I have so much. Tr- you know, I, I try to uh, I try to intellectualize everything. Yeah. And I think so many folks. Else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's nice to. It's one thing to be told you're not alone, mm. right? It's another thing to to share something so vulnerable or so mm. you know you think that you just do it in isolation and then you you get to hear somebody who you know to me i see you as a mental health expert right to 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 hear somebody say you and everyone else (laughs) it really does feel so like (sighs) i needed to hear that yeah therapy's wild in that you know (laughs) two people or a group of people can go into four walls you know wherever they are and the contents of that four walls pretty much lives within those four walls, you know, for that hour or however much time may be allotted in there. And it's just a wild world that not many people know about unless they're doing therapy. So I'm so appreciative that you invited me for the, for the interview to be able to shed light on, on what happens within those four walls um, as a practitioner and someone who also goes to therapy myself and hopefully more people feel welcome to enter their own four walls with another person to uh, kind of tackle this thing called life beautiful and then just very 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 last bit if you want to plug in anything about where folks maybe can find you um, or where folks maybe have more questions for you if you have the capacity for it if you just want to share yeah for sure um again as i said earlier people can find me via the reviving roots website um, I'm also on social media. Um, I have an Instagram called uh, Theraterapy, so T H E R A T E R R A P Y. It's on Instagram. I'm not super active on there, but that'd be a great way if people want to reach out to me directly if they have questions. Um, and yeah, I'm just out and about in the cities. You can find me at any restaurant, pretty much. Uh, that's that's how I spend my my free time. Or in the in the gym community here, um, I you know teach um, group fitness at a couple different gyms. I do a program in the summer that is uh, strictly for BIPOC people. 
It's an eight-week-long program as an introduction to fitness. So, yeah, lots of ways to find me. Sweet. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. NAMI Minnesota's Multicultural Young Adult Advisory Board provides general information and discussion about medicine, mental health, and related subjects. The words and other content provided in this podcast episode and in any referenced materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. If the listener or any other person has a medical concern, they should consult with an appropriately licensed physician or mental health professional. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it, as research has proven that untreated mental illnesses often display more severe or debilitating symptoms. If you are in a mental health crisis, please call or text 988 or chat with a crisis counselor at 988lifeline.org.